are listening to That's So Podcast, a weekly discussion on pop culture, Black American life, and digital media. It's your hump day antidote or a pre-game cocktail hour. But remember this major key, hydrate and be sure to tweet hashtag cultural IQ to share insights and the best moments from the show. Now, stay tuned for your culture OG and trap whisperer host, Hey everybody, Denitria here, and welcome to That So Podcast. If this is your first time listening, thank you for coming by. The That So Podcast is produced every Wednesday for your enjoyment. The show notes can be found on the website at www.thatsopodcast.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite podcast reader or iTunes. You can also follow me on Twitter at DNIRE and Get Cultural IQ on Facebook. All the links are available in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today we're talking with the awesome B. Moore, host of the super fantastic show, and he'll tell you where to find that. We also have another guest, Dr. Maurice Doberry, who goes by his wrestler name, The Educator, who has a PhD in multicultural education. So guys, I'm going to have you introduce yourself. B, you can go first and... Let's get started. Okay. Hey, thanks for uh, that wonderful intro. You kind of like Steve Harvey me, brought me out on stage. I love that. My official government mother-given name is Brendan Moore. Only probably two people on the planet use it. Otherwise, I go by B. It is a, a name, a nickname that stuck with me forever. As D said, I am the host of the Super Fantastic Show. I am also a chronic entrepreneur. I am uh, the founder of a network of websites. This is 10 years ago called Alumni Roundup, which was for HBCU alumni. Uh, very much involved in education in terms of you know supporting students going to HBCUs and getting that cultural education that I think is necessary for young African American kids. Uh, I also own a brand called Eating for Abs, in which I teach nutrition, and uh, I've worked with Olympians, world record holders, you know, regular folks in in becoming their very best. That's what I do. It's what I love to do, and I love talking on podcasts about cool stuff. So thanks for having me. Awesome and WrestleMania. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> WrestleMania. Uh, so the first time I appeared in WrestleMania was at the Pontiac Silverdome. Nobody thought I could slam Andre the Giant in the middle of the ring. Uh, <laughs> I'm Maurice Dalberry. So, yeah, uh, uh, MD educator uh, on Twitter. I am a longtime educator. I taught middle and high school for 12 years. I teach, uh, teach on the college level now. I am an education consultant. I do curriculum and instruction. I do teacher training. I am a longtime wrestling coach. Just finished up uh, season number 18. So, you know, more love to kids. You know, interacting hey, with them. Of, two-time coach of the year, sir. Let me go ahead and put your accolade out there. Two-time coach of the year. Just awarded the second one. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you. I just got uh, just, just picked up my second one yesterday. I, you know, as I told my wrestlers, you don't get a coach of the year when your wrestlers suck. <laughs> you know. So uh, shout out to, you know, shout out to them for the work that they put in. You're going to get this work. That's it. It is. That's it. We teach them how to we teach them how to give people the business. And, you know, once they learn how to do it, they, you know, we, we cut them loose on people. So, yeah. So so that's my background. I don't own any brands and I'm not an entrepreneur. I do have uh, 
the storefront podcast. Me and Dutton still do that every uh, uh, every other Sunday night. So you can if you can find it somewhere in the midst of some little tiny corner of the internet, you can join all seven of our fans and check out the storefront podcast as well. Awesome. Can I can I add can I put an addendum to my introduction, please? Sure. The two people that I'm on this podcast with, if you've ever seen them in person, and they were bigger, and then you saw them again and they were smaller. I'm just going to bow right now. <laughs> Both of these two people have attended the Eating for Abs course in some form or fashion, and, and we'll, we'll maybe touch on that later on. But you guys have done a fantastic job, both of you, in being beacons of greater health and nutrition to the people around you and your families in particular. So give yourself applause. Speaking of, I am smaller and someone noticed it. So, yeah, thank you, coach. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, today we are talking about social TV. That's just my that's my catch all for it today. So TV can seem like an escape mechanism. But do the characters lives really matter? Like, do they influence actions? You know, when we're watching, when we're all watching television together, we're having this kind of um, shared experience. You know, everyone's watching Scandal or they're telling you that they're not watching Scandal because they don't want to hear about who Liv is sleeping with. And why is this powerful woman woman diminishing herself for this man? Um, so things like that. And we're definitely going to, you know, figure out at what point do we culturally rise above the media boogeyman, so to speak? When do we get to just be all the very extensions of who we are, even if some of those extensions are maybe a little bit reprehensible? And then we're going to talk a little bit about black cool, black commerce and black content. And when we say black content, I mean, not just, you know, putting things on, doing it for the gram. But content ownership, like how do we get to the place where we not only create our content, but we also own that. So let's get started. Let's go. First, what television programs do you guys watch? Do you watch any of the reality shows or like what kind of stuff are you checking out on TV? Me personally, me, me myself, per- you got to air quotes that me myself personally. <laughs> I, I watch uh, I grew up watching things like Mr. Wizard's World. And Bill Nye, Science Guy. I'm very much interested in reality in that sense. If you find me in the bookstore, I'm typically in the self-help section or in the cooking section. So, reality or functionality? Because that's functionality TV. Okay, okay, we'll call that I functionality. Just, I TV. just made that up. We got to put a little t- TM on that. <laughs> now, <laughs> I do watch a lot of reality TV. My wife and I watch Amazing Race all the time. As a matter of fact, the most recent episode, the two brothers on there got eliminated. The only black people on there got eliminated, and they were whack anyway. They needed to go home. I watch Survivor. Uh, I watch, okay, watch Blackish, of course. I do watch Empire on occasion, and I watch anything related to a comic book character anywhere on the television. So if it's on Netflix, I'm watching Daredevil. If it's uh, CW, I'm watching, you know, all uh, Arrow and The Flash, and it goes on and on. And just let it be known, I have children. So. I get the opportunity to stay a big kid when I watch those shows with them. And also that creates a filter for me because I have to watch what they're watching. So when I'm watching something that I think is not necessarily the best image that they should be taking in, I filter that and make sure that they're not watching. It. So that's, that's the stuff I watch. Well, what are you checking out? I'm a cord cutter. I'm a cable cutter. Now, that doesn't mean like I'm one of them, you know, one of them folks who's like, I, I don't watch TV. No, I'm a TV watcher. I love pop culture. I love the media and the television. I want it to be on. I just think cable's too doggone expensive. Uh, the rent is too damn high. Rent, exactly. It's too damn high. Shout out to Jimmy McMillan. Yeah. The cable bill is too damn high. 
I, you know, I I got I got rid of uh I got rid of cable vision, but I got I'm an Amazon Prime Netflix uh user. I'm a I have turned into a binge watcher. Um, Let me share your password uh, so that I know that it's real. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I'll give you my 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 password is. Let me get up on that. You can you know, we don't have to say it on the show. Hit me up with the with the Netflix password when we get off the show. Right. You know, because that's how I know that you cool. No, I just I just gave to you. Hold on, I'm, my net my password is. I, you know what? I, so what are you? Sorry, what are you cutting out? I'm I'm not sure what's going on with the audio here. So what are you <laughs> binge watching these days? I am binge watching right now. I'm catching up on Archer. I like a lot of the adult cartoon series. So I'm getting into, you know, some of that kind of stuff. I'm binge watching Archer right now. I like a lot of the Netflix original programming and Amazon original programming. As far as what comes on, I am unashamed. I am unashamed to be masculine and love Shonda Rhimes Thursday. So I'm going to get in front of my my regular TV antenna and I'm going to catch up uh, uh, the, the Grey's Anatomy scandal, how to get away with murder. That's that's my appointment television. I'm giving you a round of I applause watch. on that. Like, I love when men are like, yeah, I watched. So what? Hey, I love it. Always have. Always have. Ain't going to front. Be whatever the hell you want to say. It don't even matter. <laughs> I watch Walking Dead. I am a uh, similar to B, you know, if it's got a comic book character, I'm basically watching that. Walking and then, you know, the, the sci-fi, you know, Old Kingdom type stuff. So I'm watching The Walking Dead. I'm watching Game of Thrones. That's pretty much where my, you know, where I go with my TV watch. Right. So basically, every week and almost every day, there's a call. There's a call that happens between he and I. If he's seen it yet, because he's three hours behind me. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's the next day. Like, dog, did you see such and such? Yeah, man. You know that happens regularly. That, so that's who we are. See now, my I don't have a lot of appointment TV. I'm a cord cutter also. I'm, I mean, there are cords in this house, but for the most part, like my experience with television, I curate every single thing that I do. So I do binge watch a lot of television. The only quote unquote appointment show I have is Blackish, but the appointment is on late, late Wednesday nights after it comes on. I check on Hulu to see if it's there. And if it's not there, I watch it Thursday morning before I start work. And not that I even think that Blackish is a particularly like awesome show. I just think it's quality, consistent family programming. Like it's just funny enough. It reflects my experience enough and it's relatable enough. So it's something that I want to see do well. Now, here's what's funny about that. See, my wife, we felt the same way until there was an episode where Dre was uh, Dre's mom was dating. That was and a really good episode too. She was, but she wasn't happy about that because it was family programming up to that point for her. And and when you know he's talking about now I got to worry about some dude smashing my mom's. Now my kids are the age where they are parents, <laughs> so so they're gonna say what they hear. And that that was a, a, a definitive episode for her where she said now I have to like pre-watch the joint, um, you know, before we watch it together. Because she she just doesn't want that content in, you know in their in their head, and not to say it's not already in their head because they take the bus to school, so they've already you know they they've got the depths of porn going on, but uh, <laughs> so you know you know B you have children Mo you don't, but when it comes down to teachable moments and you know managing what we feel like our image should be as um, people of color, 
why can't they watch that? Why can't they watch it? And then that becomes a conversation on, you know, how you operate in a relationship. Okay. As the resident parent on this conversation, let me tell you why. And you're going to, you're going to disagree all day. Dolberry. The issue is we've got everything else in the world already going on. The, ca- the family calendar is like packed with all types of stuff, mainly centered around either making sure the lights stay on or making sure the kids stay busy. So since they can't drive, they have to get to soccer practice. They got to get the track practice. They got to, you know, go to their boys house. They got a play date. They got this, that, and the third, all that. That's already planned. And then when you interject something like that to kids, like, if you didn't know in advance that this is going to be a topic we have to talk about, it's one thing if you can plan it. But yeah, bedtime is nine o'clock. So you're too and busy to teach your kids. At eight <laughs> o'clock, the show comes on, and now we got a conversation topic. Come on, man. And you know, they're going to milk it for everything. They wanted to have that conversation right now. It's not like, okay, we saved, for example, the last episode of Blackish, or one of the most recent episodes, depending on when this show airs, was about, uh, you know, racial. Uh, issues in America. And they finally addressed something like that directly. And they had, you know, the whole uh, CNN mm-hmm. tie in and they were, they were it was, you know, all of the, kids all of the were generations were covered. Everybody had a perspective based Correct. on their generation. Right. Now we watched that show together purposely with the kids, but not during airtime. We, you know, we watched it on demand later on because it was like, it's an important thing to us. And we do want to have that conversation. But if you leave it to chance, where this topic is interjected at eight o'clock in the eight o'clock hour and bedtime is at nine. And now we got to have this conversation. Now we're either past bedtime messing up the rest of the plans or, uh, or we're not being responsible in, in answering the questions right now. So that's my reality. And I'm sure other parents can, can agree or disagree depending on their experience, but that's, that's what I'm going with. Mo, what do you think about that? Let me tell you how the, the challenges, the challenging topics happen in the Moore household. Oh boy. Like, let's say one of the kids, you know, one of the, let's say, you know, one of the boys, something happens and uh, it has something to do with maturation of sex education. This is what happened. Mo, Uncle Mo, do your job, man. I get a phone call. Uncle Mo, do your job, huh? <laughs> talk about, hey man, you need to talk to the boy about whatever, you know? So that's how it works in that house. There, there's a lot of passing on. So. Sex and village, know. homeboy. Stop complaining. <laughs> hey, I'm not complaining. Purpose. I'm just explaining. Mm-hmm. Tell you how it goes. So it's important uh, to have the conversations. Yes, it just requires a little planning in in my book. So the and I, you know, and I'm go ahead. I'm not. I'm not a parent, so you know, I can't. You know, I can't speak to you know all the other stuff that goes on. Like, okay, now I'm using this to subvert bedtime, and it ain't really no fruitful conversation. This is just you know, I get to stay up and talk to mom and dad, or maybe it's a fruitful conversation, but there's something more important that needs to happen. You know, the conversation needs to be postponed or tabled, you know, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever the circumstance may be, you know, I, I tend to think of these things as, as urgent, you know, but like I said, I'm not a parent, so I I can't speak to it. So when we're thinking about content and how it influences, you know, I remember at a certain point, I, I have a sister who has a now teenage child, but she at one point, wouldn't let her watch the Disney Channel. And, you know, on the surface, lots of people would find that odd. But her reasoning for it was that there was a show called iCarly at the time, and there were some other shows as well, but that was the one she pinpointed, 
where there's always a girl child and a boy child and they're really good friends. But at some point it turns into the girl child likes the boy child and now he wants to kiss her or date her or whatever. And then there's this, you know, this awkward layer that is like put on the top of the theme. And no matter what the storyline is for that particular episode, somehow it ties back into one or the other trying to figure out how they can get that person to, you know, like them as more than a friend. You know, I don't like you like that. And so she made the decision to just, you know, kind of cut Disney out for a while. And that brings me to, you know, in terms of influencing actions, whether you're an adult or a child, does that really, really matter? Or is that just on personal, perfectly personal will for you to dictate how you're going to respond in the situation? I watch Scandal, but that don't mean I'm out here trying to cheat with somebody's husband. Mm. I think we regularly overestimate the influence of media. As a matter of fact, I think we present media as a, as a horse-drawn cart. It's, media is the reflection. Whatever happens in the media, all of that stuff has already occurred. It's normalized. It's a part of popular culture. It's being discussed by teenagers or adults or small children. It's there already, and now it's being presented. Most often, in my opinion, media is not setting precedent. They can reinforce, but they're not setting any new precedent. So I can't say, you know, so on an individual case-by-case basis, yeah, there are are individual kids, and every household is going to be different, who are just under a heavy influence by the media. But in general, children being influenced by the media man the the biggest problem you have is the gaggle of 14 year olds who are filling their heads with all different types of stuff about gender and sexuality and relationships and you know yeah that's coming from is that not coming from media also it does but it's a reflection of what the what the teenagers are doing so i carly and the oh i like her i like him but i don't know how to approach it i'm nervous that comes from teenage experiences the teenage experience is there you take iCarly off, that's going to be replicated on 90, you know, to make up in the land of made up numbers. 95% of all school buses that travel to school, you know, middle and high school, that same type of scene is played out, replicated over and over and over again. So they don't need iCarly for that. iCarly is the reflection, not the influence. Right. That's how I feel about it. Because when you think about hip hop, you know, hip hop had range when we were growing up. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody's age, but I mean, obviously, we're old enough to have seen some of the golden age of hip hop. But, you know, when gangster rap was ushered in, everybody felt like that was the music du jour in terms of how, you know, rap was approached. You know, we went from this like really well-curated kind of high representation of, you know, happy music or music that was really conscious to music that seemed to like dwell in like the bass desires. But I happen to have liked a lot of gangster rap music, but I grew up in the suburbs. So like, it wasn't like I was going out and doing those things, but my parents also policed that, you know, I was sneaking and listen, listening to it. Or one of my mom or dad's friends would come over and they had a doggy style CD and would show my parents what it looked like and played it. And then, you know, they were on the hunt. Like, you know, if I ever see you with this CD, you know, it's going to be hell to pay. My mom took me to coconuts. That's really showing my age here. My mother found an old Dirty Bastard CD in my room and took me to Coconuts to return it, open it all. And anybody who's ever <laughs> gone to a music store back in the, you know, when CDs <laughs> were the rage, 
You could not return an open CD. You weren't going to tell Miss Lewis that. Miss Lewis had me stand right there and collect my own money back from the register for buying this CD and then told them about themselves for them letting me buy that. So I say all that to say all of those reputations and representations are out there already. So why do we have to be so, you know, tight about it? Because it's ultimately going to be up to the individual and the parents and, you know, whomever they are learning from to make sure they don't mimic these things. I disagree wholeheartedly. You, you two obviously agree. And that's cool. And I've been you, right? So I'm, I'm clearly by the, by, the, by the age at which your mom took you back to get the ODB CD, ODB CD returned, the age you were then, I was much older. So therefore, I know you, we have just officially figured out that I'm the old man in the room. I, was, I had a job I was driving by that time. I love that CD. It's like <laughs> one of the best ever, right? But yeah, that, that, you took the example right out of my mouth. We all grew up in the suburbs. You, grew up, you both grew up in the Midwest in the suburbs. I grew up outside of New York. And I didn't live the life that was uh, on display when NWA came out. I had no concept of, you know, what was going on in Compton. But damn sure, when F the Police came out, we were saying it out loud and we was walking around hard. We were, we were at Howard University, Drew Hall, talking about F the Police. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a scholarship student from the suburbs. What the hell am I talking about? So my point is that when we're talking about media images and how, influence, how they influence people, I think that it, it's, it's a huge influence on folks. Now, not, not to take away from the influence my parents had on me, but, you know, I adopted all those things that were repeating in my head into my, my diet, and, I, and I, it changed my, my, my outward view on the world. Absolutely. I don't think that's not happening. I don't think that if you're watching, you're an adult talking about the effect that scandal has or doesn't have on you, but I have to look at what is the impact that Call of Duty is having on my boy or not, I think the iCarly example is a little weak sauce in terms of what I know that they're experiencing otherwise. But like what, uh, what from my daughter, what influence is she, or is she taking in that's going to impact her self-esteem when she's dealing with boys? That's a huge thing. So I can't, take, I can't exonerate media. I think you write it off too easy. I think, I think it has a huge profound impact on, on at least the short term. And I'm talking about like a decade. When I say short term, I'm talking about like 10 years of lifespan. At least the short term, I think it has a profound experience. As you get older and mature, I think that may change. Sure, but there's a, there is a certain affinity that you have because of how you're socialized. So you wouldn't have just taken anything. You wouldn't have just taken any sort of message from any music and then all of a sudden been under like some sort of hypnotic spell by it to say, oh, okay, this is what I now believe. For example, when NWA, you know, when, you know, when, when Straight Outta Compton in particular came out, right, the interactions that I had with police in, you know, in my neighborhood, the only, as a teenager, the, the, the one time I got called a nigger by a white person was, was by Pittsfield Township Police. So, you know, and it was the most terrifying thing ever. When I was sitting in the back of, you know, I'm sitting in the back of police, I'm in my own neighborhood. You know, and they put me in the back of a police car, right? Around the corner from my crib. And, you know, so seeing how they treated us, NWA, when, you know, when they came out after police, it was like, okay, this is, this matches my experience. So I know what this is like. It would, if I had been, you know, if I had been a, a, a you know, maybe, I don't know, a white kid from Gross Point as opposed to a black kid from Ypsilanti, 
it wouldn't have hit me the same way. I wouldn't have looked at it and been like, yeah, I hate the police. I'd have been like, nah, the police are awesome. They helped me get my cat out of the tree. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a whole, you have a set of experiences that, that, you know, that the media have to fit into in order for you to have an affinity for it. So right. I, it's I not agree. just. I agree. So I'm not so, vilifying all media, but I'm just saying media is a very powerful delivery system. And now with the proliferation of the Internet and kids having cell phones and access to every song and every image out there, the stuff that he that he or she has that uh, affinity for has to be seen as a powerful influence. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying all media is bad, but I'm saying media is a powerful tool in influencing and it's a powerful tool for reaching someone's affinities. And let's say you're you have an addictive personality. You're addicted to bad shit. Right. I mean, you've now got access to all the bad shit in the world. Yeah. But if you if you are not discerning. Right. And, like, like and you are. are just ultimately influenceable by any and everything. Then, yeah, the power of media is going to be overwhelming. It's an information fire hose without question. But I don't know of anyone or of any circumstance under which, you know, people are ultimately Influence. It's that old, you know, rock music made me do it. Hip hop made me do it. Rap music, made, you know, th- those things are like I said. It's a it's a horse drawn cart. It's it's bad backwards. The scapegoats, right? To some degree, there's something that is ex- that is that is extant already that makes someone, for example, if you listen to N.W.A. and then you go out and shoot somebody, you ain't go out and shoot somebody because Ice Cube was rapping about shooting somebody shot somebody because you wanted to shoot somebody and then maybe the music got you hyped up if but it didn't happen the other way around you, you weren't around on your way to class saying, what are those you didn't make that up in your head true true but i will admit that i did brush my teeth one morning to what these bitches want from a nigga <laughs> and that particular day i was just waiting for somebody to piss me off so i'm a cop to that right now <laughs> But you ain't never, you ain't never, you know, so you ain't never walked to, I never was like, you know, today I'm going to go to class at Ernest Everett Just Hall and learn some biology. And then in my, dating, dating ourselves, in my disc man or my walk man, start, you know, start playing in WA and be like, you know what, man, I ain't going to class. I'm going to go kill me some niggas. That, 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 it, it never works like that. You know what I mean? That, that's not the way it works. There has to be some sort of... But it's not all or nothing, dog. Be... You present a nothing. You say it's like zero. And her question is, is it, is, does it have power? The answer is yes. It clearly is yes. I'm, now, does it have I'm all the power? You, but I'm telling you, it can be a catalyst for something that has to be there already. It is not going to initiate in most people some sort of action or behavior that never would have occurred in the first place. Okay, fine. I accept that answer. Boom. Next. So we're going to move on. <laughs> what, <laughs> what social media platforms do you guys use, like, to, um, I guess, to keep up with TV or maybe to, like, talk to people about content in general? All of them. You better trademark that. I'll take it. www.allofthem.com. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's off the, that's after both of them. It's more now than all of them. So, yes. Are you guys um what about black uh, I'm going to specifically talk about black content for a minute. So like who are the content creators that you guys are like kind of keeping track of online or enjoy their work? Mm. I'm, I'm talking I, like viners, you know, people on Instagram, like things like that. I keep up with the the kind of nebulous, you know, 
construct that is black Twitter. You know, I'm definitely plugged into there. Uh, there's a blurred black nerd, you know, section of Twitter that I keep up with. Shout out to, to Jake Broadnax and black girl nerds. Yeah. Follow both of you those. Know, love them. Which is, you know, which is absolutely dope. I like very smart brothers. That website just keeps me in stitches and like, it's, you know, it's us. You know what I mean? It's like young black folks who get it. I like the, uh, so just like even the comedy standpoint, they, they do more social comedy, but the uh, Dormtainment, those dudes from Dormtainment. You know, they have a show on Comedy Central. I just noticed recently, Six Dudes in a Car, that I just noticed recently. Yeah, that was good. That's a little, that's a little older. I'm going to put a pin in that because I also noticed that there are hardly any women, black women in particular, on Comedy Central. So there's an avenue. I just gave that to you listeners if you are a black woman and you have some content, get your Shonda Rhimes on mm. and you're funny, you know, get on Comedy Central. B, what are you checking out? Well, if I if I named you some accounts, he would try to call me out on it because according to him, I don't use social media. I'm more of a you don't. I'm a more of a one way conversation guy. I have something to say. I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to shoot a video. I'm going to say something. I really don't listen. I don't listen to Jack. I, I might look at like if I'm watching a show, I might check out the hashtag and participate in that conversation, but I don't listen to other people's stuff. I'm just, so you're, I'm, a broad, you're a broadcaster. It's kind of rude. I'm a broadcaster all day. It's kind of rude. You don't engage. <laughs> I do That's laugh. why I tell them you don't use social loud, media. Though. What? If I was, if I was consulting you as a client, Mr. Uh, Moore, I would definitely tell you, you need to step up your uh, engagement game. In the words of Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got no time for that. I need to have like three, exactly. four sisters to do that. Not me. It can't be me. I got other things. I can't. It can't be me. But I do have a lot to say. And if you like what I say, you know what I'm saying? Boom. We're good. And that's the thing. Look, let me just say, you know, because I've known B for an embarrassing number of years, you know, to be affiliated with, you know, with somebody. But <laughs> the he don't look at nothing that I do. <laughs> and I know this dude. I know this dude, mom and daddy name. <laughs> I'm in the house and broke bread, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is true. So, it, it, so it ain't nothing personal. I'll at least give him that. It ain't nothing personal. He just don't engage. I engage in social media. I got to shout out another one, uh, Hip Hop Ed, that uh, my my dude Chris Emden does, uh, which is Tuesday nights at nine o'clock on Twitter hashtag. You know, where there those of us who are in education and in hip hop, you know, find connections and describe and discuss stuff. Um, so I follow that too. You know, so I actually engage, though. You know, I don't tweet out enough, but I engage. Like, I'll, I'll actually converse with somebody and read what they have to say. I engage I like as well. This. I just don't read shit. So no, you don't. You don't, don't. That's not engage. Hold on a second. You talk. No, I talk to people. I don't. There you you, know, you have to talk to me personally. I talk to B people. Treats so, he does treat social media as, like, real-life interactions. Right. So if you hit him up and it's to him, he's going to talk to you. Twitter is like advanced text messaging in front of people. Oh, well, that, definitely that. I've always felt that. I invented Twitter because I was the queen of random messages on a distro. And now I hate group messaging, but that's a, another topic. So t- people who create this content, I, I want to ask you guys, you know, what do you think about young creative, you know, especially people of color who are using social media to shape um, the culture that we consume, but they don't own that work? Like, uh, what do you think of some strategies for that to happen? I'm gonna. I have a shorter answer here, and before I let you go, Reese, there's one guy that I that I do love his work, and he's a young dude, 
fits right in here. His name is Reggie Coos or Reggie Cubs. He's my favorite. He's the Yo, guy. I was watching Reggie Coos when he had 7,000 followers and I kept telling people, I feel like as an advertiser, it's my responsibility when I have a media budget or know people with media budgets to tell them about influential people. Mm-hmm. And I kept telling them, I said, this kid is funny. He's like the next Eddie Murphy. <laughs> you know, like if I have to put a label on it, right. I was like, he can sing, he's funny, he can act. Watch him. And within a span of seven months, he went from, you know, a few thousand followers to over a million. And nobody took advantage of that. Yeah. See, he's 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 right in line with what attracts me. Right. So I loved Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett is like, you know, Disney owns all of my stuff. They own all my childhood. They own the Muppets. They own all the comic books, but they don't own Carol Burnett that I'm aware of. But that's like the other one. Right. I love that. That whole thing. And he reminds me of of that whole era of that, uh, you know, taking a couple of wigs and some mustaches and telling a story and, and playing eight different characters. So I love his work. He's a young dude who's who's rocking. He's from New Jersey. Love that. And that's the one guy that I pretty much, you know, keep on rotation and say, well, let me see what this fool's talking about today. And and as far as not owning his space, I think he does. But I, maybe I'm not understanding in the way you're saying. I feel like he is building a name and has built a name for himself. And that follows him everywhere he goes like he he owns that space he goes if he stops somewhere and you know wants to do a, go to an improv people will buy tickets he owns his name i think that in the figurative sense and you know if he did a show definitely you know he'd get paid off of that mm. but they're making content on platforms that they do not own and that's not to say to move away from those but people need a hub like if you are if you are a brand which he is now you need a hub. You need somewhere where people can find every little thing that you do and ways to monetize that. Vine can monetize you, but how do you monetize you? So that's my thing about folks creating all of this, you know, basically free media on these free platforms. But you are bringing money essentially to those platforms and you're not able to always capitalize on it. You know, it's not just as simple as being a YouTube partner. And there are lots of folks who are YouTube partners that are still broke. <laughs> like, they're still working regular jobs and they have millions of views. You know, it's a very rarefied bunch that right. rises to the top on that. Mm-hmm. I think you brought up hip-hop earlier. There's a paradigm shift that started in hip-hop and it's something that, you know, was really, you know, popularized by, you know, like, people like Master P and you know, the, all the cats, to all the cats who ever sold their own music out of the trunk of their car, right? There's now, the, the shift is in saying the content is going to be free, but my services are what you're going to have to pay for. You know, so people who are in the music industry, you know, will tell you now, and this is, you know, it, it, like there's no money in selling music. There's only a handful of people who are actually going to make money selling music. But you can make a career and make a living off of what you do as a musician. So if you're an artist, then you can get paid, you know, in doing shows, you know, so you can get paid as a, you know, like you create, you know, you become a content creator for someone who pays you for your services. I think that just marks a paradigm shift in, in how, you know, social media is, you know, going to be leveraged i think the days of you know saying i'm going to you know trademark and copyright this work and then you're going to buy it from me and you know now here's a game changer though the game changers are netflix and amazon and these people who are doing their own stuff so now you know own it own the content and the and the platform definitely absolutely so 
so you can go to, you know, like your like your boy Nate Parker, who uh, had the the opportunity with his, you know, with his movie Birth of a Nation about the, you know, Nat Turner's insurrection. Mm-hmm. He had the opportunity to either go to Netflix or go to major distribution. So now Netflix is a place where you can say, hey, you know, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make these shows and I'm gonna sign on, you know, and make money in the kind of traditional way, but uh, in a way that more mimics social media. That's opposite ownership of what she's saying. You're saying you want to find have people who have owned own their platform as well as their content. Is that what you're saying? I it depends. It's like whatever whatever is the most profitable and you keep the most power. So you know, in the Nate Parker situation, he had a lot of leverage in that. You know, the the film was already completed. You know, and here it is. He's coming off of one of the the highest ranked deals that they've ever heard out of Sundance, and he's going to have promotional strength behind it from essentially two movie houses because the pope the folks that he went with have um international and a uh, domestic presence so he's going to be able to bank on that film in a way that he probably wouldn't have been able to do if he had to sink more money into it based on his own promotion i think that's a very smart way to work but that's film and it's very expensive to make film you know as opposed to television or a little bite-sized internet or web content, you know, the cost of entry for that is a little bit more level and it's a little bit cheaper, you know, depending on what kind of setup you're going to do. If you're doing five wig changes and just kind of like spouting off content on the regular, like uh, look at Karan Harris and Simone Shepard. A lot of the things that they do is around their neighborhood and their home um, and brands will come to them and ask them to do something that's organic to their audience and pay them to do that and pay them a lot of money to do that for a six second clip so ownership to me is having ownership of how you present it and also having ownership of how you um can push that out to the masses but both of those things don't always have to come in the same package right okay i agree i've been there before you know, when, in, when we were in the heyday of doing our HBCU content, we, you know, were able to get commissioned by different brands to do exactly that. And this is before six and 15 second videos. I and mean, we, we've done full out web series, you know, traveled around the country doing shows that was endemic to our to our demographic that only delivered on our YouTube channel. But, you know, featured a Ford vehicle or, you know, were sent somewhere by by another company, by a, a housewares brand or by a, a, a warehouse brand to do something that tied their brand in, but we never really had to bow or kowtow. And, and the content has lived on our, it lives on our, it still lives on our YouTube. So that's, that's an example of, of things that, that have happened before. And, and I think the examples you gave are, are great. I'm, I'm trying to imagine what the next level of that is. Like for what do you imagine Reggie should be shooting for after being huge on whatever channels he has, Instagram or whatever, what's the next level of ownership for him? I think the next level for someone like him is, you know, beyond getting endorsements, you know, as himself, he should definitely create some type of media network, you know, the Reggie Coos media network. So whether that's just, you know, he is the only person that is creating these different entertainment pieces, or if it's him and folks that he's selected to work with him, that, that, that should be the next logical that lives on his own site. And it could curate his work on those other sites, too. But have your own hub where people can go to com or Regigoos, whatever it is, and see all of the things that you are creating, mm-hmm. you know, and using whatever tools at your um, disposal to do that. 
Uh, that's how I look at advertising. Advertising right now is still in the, you know, television and print business. You know, we're making a commercial spot. We're making a television spot. Well, that's not the way content works anymore. Content is you have an overarching theme or idea. You create a full concept around that. And then you look at that large body of work and determine how you can plot it into these different platforms. Not, I'm going to make a TV spot. I'm going to make a print ad. I'm going to make a Vine. I'm going to make a GIF. Well, you'll go crazy trying to create something for every little thing. Create something that is already good on its own, whether it's one minute or two hours or whatever the case may be, and you parse those things out as they fit for the network that you want to be in. But that's my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) So, gentlemen, we are coming on time here, and I'm glad to have had both of you on Can you guys let folks know where they can find you online if you want to be found? And and then we'll just get ready to close out the show. So, B, you go first, and then Mo, you chime in. Yeah, the easiest way, the the easiest way is is let's go to thesuperfantasticshow.com. You go to thesuperfantasticshow.com, you get to hear me talk about a whole bunch of stuff just like this that you can agree with or disagree with or that can tick you off, and uh, you can enjoy it. Now, if you want to otherwise do what these two have done – and shed a bunch of excess weight and get healthy, then you can come to eatingforabs.com. That's eating the word F-O-R, not the number. There's no E's for threes and stuff like that. It's eatingforabs.com. That's it. That's me. I'm so glad you said that because that tickles me. That, you know, things that are so exclusive the E's can't get in. That's my <laughs> pet peeve. Uh, Mo, where can we find you other than WrestleMania? <laughs> You can, let's see, so um, alignandthesand.com, as in, like, I drew a line in the sand. Uh, alignandthesand.com is my website. Don't keep it as up-to-date as I would like to, but check me out there. Um, you can find me on Twitter, M-D-E-D-U-C-H-R-M-D-Educator. You know, we got the eights in there, uh, you know, like the eating for our app. Just, yeah, just exactly. did R2-D2 R2. sound, son. That's it. <laughs> Exactly. You got all that stuff. You know, got got to shrink it so I can so I can write more when I'm actually tweeting. You know, right? Because we need more. We need more characters. One hundred. Sometimes 140 characters is not enough. It's not enough when 16 ain't enough. So you know, (laughs) we got (laughs) to We had to we had to shrink that down a little bit. So you can uh you can find me in those uh those two places. And then finally um at storefront crew. That's the uh, that's the Twitter for the the storefront podcast, and it, that Dudley Silla and I do, where you know we take on a bunch of different topics and we look at things. Uh, both of us being educators, we look at things from an education standpoint. Awesome! All right, thank you guys for being on. You have been listening to that so podcast again. You can find us every single week at www.thatsopodcast.com or just queue up your favorite podcast player of choice. Search for the show or search for Denitria Lewis, and there you have it. This has been That's So Podcast. <laughs>